This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast and on today's episode we're talking rubbish yeah there's loads of it about litter who's picking it up should we be picking it up? What should the government be doing about it? And who exactly found a bra in the bushes? So that's one of our listeners. That's coming up in just a moment. First though, on a Tuesday, as ever, we kick off with... Fingovich. Meet the Cerberus of columnists. The Janus of journalism. And the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. with Daniel Finkelstein and David Aronovich on Times Radio. Yes, they were live, they were live, they're here. Good morning to Danny Finkelstein. Morning, Danny. Good morning. I'm actually in your seat, Matt. You're in my seat. I am. I don't know what that means. Are you going to just steer things through and I'll... I'll <laughs> if you play the, the role of me, David can play the role of you and I'll play David's role of just undermining the entire premise of the, uh, of the conversation. <laughs> morning, David. It's so weird. Uh, where are you then? So I'm at home because my railway line uh, has been um, has fallen over or something. There's a there was a, a landslip and all the mud from under the tracks has disappeared. So they need to build it up again. Is, is that why you were walking up and down your street picking up litter? Early? Yes, just you know, just making use of my time. You know, time I could be on a train commuting. Instead, I'm you know improving my local community. Well, I was very impressed. It's the, it's the only way I'm going to get an MBE. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, so I'm glad that you're all here. And if not in your right places, you're here in some place, which is good. Um, let's uh, let's start with a story we talked a lot about yesterday, uh, where the news broke about David Carrick, this uh, Met Police officer, who over well, almost 20 years was responsible for dozens of uh, sex attacks, rapes against... Uh, um, what was it, 12 women over a period of some 17, 18 years. We are so far beyond now, uh, Danny, beyond the sort of one bad apple <coughs> argument. Yeah. Um, but uh, trust in the police is so important, and yet anyone would be forgiven for not feeling they could trust the police, particularly the Met Police, at all. Yes. Look, I, 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 one of the reasons I was interested in this subject is because I, I, my position on this has shifted. I, you know, certainly in my 20s and 30s was always sort of quite naive about the police force. You, you do have to be able to trust a police force. And if you 
and if you allow any kind of, as it were, it's the same actually with accountants or lawyers. You know, when you, if you can, if you're a fraudster, if you manage to get one crooked lawyer, you can defraud a lot of people um, once you let people sort of through the licensing barrier. And that's also true with uh, policemen who, when they turn bad, it's very difficult uh, for anybody to to stop them. And I was generally of the view that that was only a few bad apples. And over time, I've really changed my mind. I think there is a cultural problem in the police. Um, it may be, and this I still am thinking about, that it's intrinsic to giving any institution a lot, as much power as the police have. Um, but I think there are some specific um, problems with the with the Met Police, with the British Police, you know, and you and and it, it seems to me when I watched programmes about the kind of corruption in the 1960s, um, it was unlikely to have disappeared altogether that and it seems to have reasserted itself in the form of quite a sort of toxic uh, misogyny and um, this these are just uh, people like him and Carrick and Wayne Cousins are just extreme for um, iterations of that. Uh, and Dave, do you think it's a particular issue with the Met Police? I was listening last night, Kate McCann was on with uh, John Pina last night and I, can't, I actually can't remember where it was, she was talking about uh, she'd spoken to a police and crime commissioner for somewhere else outside uh, London who said that their force, sacks, despite being a fraction of the size of uh, the Met, sacks more officers every year, that actually there's just a culture of not weeding out the bad apples. Uh, and actually, you know, you, you tolerate the culture of sexism and misogyny for so long that it ends up being fine to, to be a sex offender. Um, it's interesting, this, isn't it? And I, I hadn't heard that, and, I, and it is suggestive. Um uh, but the thing, I mean, let's try this out for a moment. How many police women have been uh, accused of major sexual assault uh, and such levels of wrongdoing in the Met or anywhere else? And the answer, of course, is practically none. I wouldn't say it is none. There will be uh, one or two. Um, uh, so in addition to thinking and wondering about the culture within the police that allows, for, for example, uh, other police officers to tolerate in their presence somebody who apparently they nicknamed Bastard Dave uh, uh, amongst them, um, which is not generally, uh, I would have thought, going to be much of a compliment, is it? Um, uh, uh, even, even in that culture. Um, one of the things that I wonder is whether, essentially, the group of men from whom police officers are often recruited or have been recruited are a problem in themselves. In other words, it's not just a kind of, you know, it's not, it's, it's not as if Bastard Dave dropped from the planet Zog or the planet Misogyny, yeah. nowhere close to anywhere else. In other words, what does this tell us about where some of these people are coming from and the attitudes they come with uh, and the attitudes of those around them who will tolerate having such people around uh, is, is the thing that is really making me think about this morning. And we don't know. I don't think we've 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 had the same sort of information in this case. But certainly in the Wayne Cousins case, you know, there was a ripples from that when it turned out the you know the things that were being shared in WhatsApp groups, offensive language, pictures of dead bodies. We've heard about you know all of that is going on. And I suppose if the culture is don't say anything, don't rock the boat, don't upset bastard Dave, then that that that's the culture that you're working in, rather than everyone. Sounding the alarm and speaking up about yeah, it, Danny. Yeah, before Danny comes back on this, just to, just, to, just, just, just to get in there, um, we also did a podcast uh, recently and ran the story about this, uh, about this uh, South Wales policeman 
who, after he committed suicide, his phone was found by his family, uh, who he'd abused for years and years and years um, mentally. And the exchanges that he'd had with other police officers in Gwent were of the kind which would give rise to the sort of culture you think uh, also spawned, you know, David Carrick uh, and so on. Now, can't be sure about this, etc. But it is really suggestive, isn't it? There's a milieu there that isn't that finds itself into its way into the police force, but doesn't begin and end with the police force. I do think yeah. um, while we're having this discussion, that there'll be people who are listening to this who have been or are police officers. And it's important to say uh, that the vast majority of police officers don't engage in this kind of behaviour, yeah. uh, that they do an unbelievably difficult job, uh, often um, with a you know often brilliantly well uh, and um, it's very relentless and hard uh, life so I do you know want to say thank you to those people whilst uh, pointing out these problems because it must be quite depressing to those people to to feel that and I know you know it's a bit like it was during the MPs' expenses uh, it was very difficult to be in politics at that time because you felt that everybody whatever that individual uh, behaviour um, was tainted to some degree by the behaviour of those people who didn't uh, n- you know know how to know how to behave with propriety so uh, I do I, I do want to say that I think it's important however I think um, over time I've come to the conclusion that both the management and the and the you know what's called the canteen culture of the um, Metropolitan Police, while it has definitely, and, and other police forces, while it has definitely improved um, in some respects, you know, there are still extremely serious uh, problems that that uh, we have to get to grips with as a country. And whose job is it to, to sort of sort this out? Yesterday I heard uh, Yvette Cooper was, was doing the rounds and, say, you know, and po- trying to point the finger at the government and say that they needed to uh, get a grip on it. I mean, Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London, got a huge amount of criticism for ousting Cressida Dick because he was uh, unhappy with the way that she was running the force of force. It was clearly, clearly not fit for purpose. But is it the job of politicians to sort it out? Is it the job of the new Met, uh, Commissioner, um, Mark Rowley? Who, where does politics come in? Is, it, is this well, another thing which lands on Rishi Sunak's already quite busy desk? I think that, uh, if I'm right in suggesting that there is a kind of quite, quite a significant and rather wider cultural problem about this, then in that case, pointing the finger too directly at a particular individual who holds office somewhere may slightly kind of missed the point i heard mark Rowley being interviewed and uh, and he was asked can you guarantee that from now on no police officer would do this and I, and it was an invitation for him to say yes i can guarantee it when actually of course he wasn't in a position to guarantee it so it was kind of inviting him to lie really about what he what it was that he would he would be able to do when you're talking about significant cultural problems there is a difficulty here however Right at the heart of it is the question about when you hear an accusation and you hear a second accusation, does a process go into action which assumes, yes, we probably have got a problem here and, yes, we almost certainly will have to take action? Or is there a presumption, well, there, you know, we've got to have a pretty watertight legal case before before we can do anything? Uh, uh, and uh, it's it, what this case suggests is despite everything, they're still they've still been in the latter mode rather than in the former yeah yeah 
Uh, well, no doubt um, we will return to this, and it's one of those things where everyone can agree it's, the, the whole situation is dreadful, but slightly less clear on what they should necessarily uh, do about it. Um, let's move on and talk, because there's lots piling up on Rishi Sunak's desk. The online safety bill. Uh, he's now climbed down on this. It's the third time uh, Rishi Sunak's climbed down. He did it on planning. He did it on wind farms. Now he's climbed down on the online safety bill. Um, somebody tweeted, I can't remember who it was, somebody tweeted this morning, David, saying it's easy being Prime Minister. You just do what your backbenchers tell you to. Is this a problem for uh, Rishi Sunak? I've noticed actually in recent weeks before Christmas, um, Keir Starmer really tried to hammer the idea of Rishi Sunak being weak. Um, yeah. Is this a problem? Or is he, you know, one man's pragmatist is somebody else's weak uh, weather vane? I think, I mean, I, I, I'm purely going to judge it by, uh, if you like, by whether or not a climb down is warranted. In other words, whether it's a good idea or not, rather than whether or not it happens. I mean, it strikes me that backbenchers might occasionally have useful contributions to make and even change governments' minds. Governments, I mean, we have got into a rather a pattern with this government of what I would call kind of the sort of legislation that actually tries to, in trying to solve problems that don't exist, quite often creates new ones. Um, and so, so it's not it's not at all the case that across the kind of uh, breadth of legislation, there aren't things the government could climb down. So that's the first thing I'd say. I don't think this is, personally, I don't see this as an as issue of weakness or strength. But then I'm not a kind of parliamentary observer in the way that some people are who, uh, who regard this as being very important. So the question really is, is the government being forced off doing the right thing by some of its backbenchers wanting it to do the wrong thing uh, and so on and is that and is that the situation in this case and that i think is the way i would be inclined to judge it but danny may feel differently no i don't i don't feel differently actually I, look the leader of a, a political party and the prime the prime minister is prime minister because he can command a majority in parliament and therefore the prime minister must have a relationship with their backbench mps otherwise there's no point in having them in which they can influence what he does and politicians on backbenches have become somewhat more assertive. I think that's a good thing. And I think it's a good thing that prime ministers, therefore, are guided by them. The problem in the Conservative Party, I think, is that a lot of the time the advice and the pressure being put on the leadership is duff, uh, is duff advice, um, and, uh, incorrectly put on the on the prime minister. I, I, the issue isn't, uh, you know, let's take, for example, um, planning issue where I didn't agree with the uh, rebellion, um, he had to back down because he didn't have a majority for doing anything else. So this isn't about whether he personally is a weak person. Uh, it was about the strength and weakness of his position. Um, and so... Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it's something intrinsic about the government and not something they need to be embarrassed about. Um, unfortunately, as David pointed out, I think they moved in that case from a correct position to a wrong one and I deprecate that <laughs> for that reason. Not because I not because I don't think not because I worry about governments changing their mind or moving their position. Um I prefer it when they're adjusting from unreality to reality rather than, you know, as I think in this particular case, <laughs> moving away from it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I suppose, yeah, a, a climb down is in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. Is whether or not, and actually, we should point out, this is also slightly complicated, it's a climb down which actually involves making it tougher, whereas a climb down suggests it's, it's the opposite. Um, this is uh, Tory rebels wanted to make social media bosses criminally liable for failing to protect children from online harm. Uh, the government has sort of watered that down and now they are going to toughen it up again. So it's a, it's a climb up. To climb up, you could say. Um, I should uh, point out, Kate McCann's been in touch to say it was Humberside PCC, Police and Crime Commissioner, who uh, had told her that they sack more police officers than the Met. And obviously the Met is much bigger than Humberside. So there we are, uh, for the sake of completeness. Um, let's talk about, well, in fact, we just talked about what you can post online and what you can't. Should the Tories be posting an ad online with Keir Starmer in Mick Lynch's pocket? 
while Labour have got a video accusing Sunak of going from clapping nurses to sacking them. They're all, you know, it's all a bit um, old school, uh, these uh, um, dividing lines on strikes. Although I saw someone point out uh, today that, that I think more than half of people, according to a new poll, now support teachers going on strike, compared to it was only a third when similar things happened under David Cameron. So has the public mood changed and should we ban people putting people in each other's pockets daddy <laughs> so i i don't think keir starmer is in mick lynch's pocket i don't think people think that he is in mick lynch's pocket and if they did think he was in mick lynch's pocket i'm not sure the how much against it they'd be so i, I on all <laughs> on all grounds i don't think that is a good advert I, you know i have to say um on behalf you know uh, in defense of the people who do it my record of actually uh, creating or approving <laughs> political adverts was disastrous so it may be that i just don't know what makes a good political advert uh, but you know generally my advice to politicians is to try to say something that's true and credible and uh if people agree with it that's also an advantage and i think they probably managed all three of those things uh to to offend against them uh, Danny, I don't know whether you've ever told your demonized story on this program uh, and matt will matt will remember but um, it's it's very good. I mean, because Danny was with the major campaign at the point where the Tony Blair with his demonised thing, which was very famous in our generation, because uh, for all the reasons that Danny's just said, and uh, uh, no one believed it. Um, Dan, how did that come about? When they commissioned the Tony Blair demonised thing, were there people who sat around thinking, "Oh yeah, this is this is this may do it for us," or did they all think? <laughs> Actually, oh, well. I, fun- I funnily enough said to Steve Hilton, for it was he who had that advert in his hand. Um, I don't really want to uh, to to uh, win an advert for best uh, win a prize for best advert and lose the election in a landslide, which is in fact precisely what happened. Um, the, 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 the the problem actually wasn't really the advert. The problem was that that basically in the end. The idea behind it, which was that Tony Blair had behind him the left and the left would overtake the Labour Party, just turned out to be untrue. And there really wasn't any advert you could run uh, that that could cope with that fact, um, which was which was one of the sort of uh, basic facts on which the Conservative Party wanted to fight the election. It also didn't have the positive. So in defence of that, um, as a piece of of artwork as it were it wasn't um it wasn't really that wasn't really the problem the problem was tony blair's positioning was hard to get at and it, a bit like this the problem here for the conservative party is just that it isn't true and uh when it isn't true it's very hard to campaign against yeah it's That's very discombobulating incidentally for for the section of the labor left who hates starmer because um they want keir starmer to be in mick lynch's pocket and their complaint is that he isn't so yeah. what do you do under those circumstances? I do think his position, by the way, I mean, I, I don't agree with his position entirely on the strikes. I think what he wants to do is to, on the nurses' strike, and I admit my position is not the public, you know, not the general public's view, but I think what he wants to do is essentially end up buying it off. And if you do that, obviously you'll get more more strikes, right? He thinks you'll get less strikes. And I, I think it's obvious that if you buy off strikes, you'll get more of them. Um, so I don't, you know, his position isn't mine, but my position isn't the general public's, and his probably is. Well, well yeah, it's interesting. Um, in fact, I think we're going to talk about, I think we're doing party political broadcast as a thing that, uh, on the show later in the week. So we, might, we may well return to demonise and uh, the flaw in coming up with something that literally nobody thinks. But let's end on Boris Johnson's memoirs. Uh, we're going to be told it's, it's going to be like a memoir like no other, which I suppose is right. It's a, it's a premiership like no other. But is there's talk that he might be back at the end by the end of the year. Lord Greenhouse was on the show yesterday saying that. Um, in which case, David, Grant Shapps might have to Photoshop him back into his album. <laughs> 
<laughs> the commissar reappears. Um, yeah, actually, I don't even I don't know whether that even happened in the Soviet Union. Whether uh, after Stalin had gone, they went back over all their old books, photoshopping people back in. I don't think they did. I think they just photoshopped stuck Photoshop Stalin out. Um, so I, I think it, it, it's incredibly difficult to. I just don't understand this psychodrama the Conservative Party or section of the Conservative Party put them through. Danny wrote about this uh, last week uh, very convincingly. Um, Boris Johnson is not the answer to any Conservative problem that they want solved. Um, that's uh, not, not amongst the electorate. So all they do is manage to make themselves look like they're from the, you know, from a completely different universe, galaxy to I, everybody else. I would say this, however, the Conservative members of Parliament removed. Boris Johnson, and they prevented him from coming back. Uh, however, there is, you know, there's no question there's a large section of the membership that didn't agree with that decision. Uh, but it does need to be said that, you know, one of the most encouraging things I think that happened in the Conservative Party in the last two years, and there are many, many, many discouraging things, was that they did actually perceive that that was necessary and removed him and uh, prevented him from uh, coming back. And I still, I think, you know, um, obviously, Stephen Griddle is a, is a great uh, political pundit, but I, I don't think it's very likely that you'll come back <laughs> this year anyway. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? Danny Finkelstein and David Wanovich then. Of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Redbox and you can subscribe right now. Right, coming up, we're talking rubbish. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yeah, we're talking rubbish on the show today. How big a problem is litter? Whose responsibility is it to pick it up? And where does it all go after that? In a moment, we'll hear from some people who've been picking up their own litter. But what I thought I'd do, as I was at home, is I can literally head down the stairs, out my front door, and just go and see how big an issue it is on my doorstep. So I've got a plastic bag in, dash across the road. Oh, look at that, literally. As soon as I'm on the other side of the road, there is a your classic polystyrene uh, burger pots, plastic pot they put like uh, chewing gum in. We've got a glass bottle of beer, Desperados. What's this? Plastic wrapper full of, uh, there used to be a fruit pastels lolly. Literally two, oh, here's a can of beer can. Put that in the bag. What's that? Can of energy drink, lovely. We'll have that, thank you very much. Plastic wrappers, sweet wrappers, there we go. Along a bit further, what's this? <laughs> a, a, an actual wine bottle, put that in, and then a paper cup, sort of uh, junk food takeaway paper cup. Plastic bottle here of fizzy drink. Oh, I'm, li- I'm literally tripping over stuff here. What's that? That's a. Uh, Another can of uh, sort of energy drink. More sweet wrappers. <laughs> uh, the L. Oh no, it's one of those P plates. You know when you pass your driving test, and uh, you want everybody to know. Uh, so you put a green P on your car. Um, not one of those. Another polystyrene burger box. Packet of Fox's chocolate fabulous biscuits. 
Not so fabulous, it's literally uh, on the verge, right opposite my house. Well, I've literally got to the end of the road, I've half filled uh, this bin liner with rubbish. I mean, <laughs> what is ridiculous is that from where I'm standing, I can literally see a bin. Uh, so I suspect that most of this has been jettisoned out of the... Oh, hang on, what's that? Oh, yeah, another... What's that? A Lucasaid bottle, lovely. Uh, all that in the bag now. We'll chuck that in the rubbish. But it's confirmation that literally is clearly a big problem. And it's a big problem right across the country. And in fact, one of the big issues uh, that we're going to hear about in a moment is vapes. People just chucking vapes, particularly out of car windows uh, and into verges uh, and so on. And it's one of those things, of course, that in an ideal world, maybe your council will be picking up uh, your litter for you. But can they do that uh, when they're also having to pay for more and more services with less and less money coming from the central government? Which is why more and more people seem to be taking the littering problem literally into their own hands, uh, which we will um, hear from some of them when I head back indoors. Right, back in, the, uh, back in the warm comforts of being indoors now. Loads of you already got in touch about this. Uh, you can email me, Matt, at times.radio with your rubbish uh, stories. There's a reason why we're talking about this. Uh, and it's because uh, the whole thing was inspired by Times Radio listener and Vox Pop quizzer. We'll do Vox Pop again on Thursday. Uh, Lucy in Cambridge. Uh, this is what she told me last week. Hello, good morning. I can't believe it. I'm the first. You're the first. <laughs> Don't muck it up, Lucy. What do you do, Lucy, in Cambridgeshire? Well, um, I'm a semi-retired presentation skills consultant, and then when I'm not doing that, I go around the verges with my pals, my other rubbish friends, and we collect all the rotten stuff that people throw out of their cars. Well done. <laughs> right. No, we do that, we do that every week and uh, clear up the mess. That's nice. What a nice thing to be doing. Um, more it's people, fun, too. Well, and I suppose you're exactly out getting exercise, chatting to people and making where you yeah. look like. What? Well, yeah, you see. I won't tell you what we find. <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you've ever found? Oh, I, I could tell you, but then I would never be allowed to, to air my voice again. But, um, oh, we find... <laughs> what are you talking about? Like a body? Phones, oh, okay, snappies, fine. Yeah. sex yeah. toys, oh my God. sawn-off shotguns, you name it. Wow. <laughs> wow, indeed. And we can welcome Lucy back. Hi, Lucy. Hello again, Matt. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm really, really good to have you back with us. And you inspired me to go out and pick up rubbish on the road out on the verge opposite my house. So that, well, that's good for you. Good for you. Your... And it didn't take but very I long. But I tell you what, There's I bet you didn't see a single person chuck a piece of rubbish out of their car because you never do. No, no, that's they true. They know it's wrong. So they look in their rear view mirror to make sure nobody's looking and then they chuck it out. So uh, Lucy's on the line from Cambridge. We can also speak to Vivek Gurav, who's a student who came to Bristol from India to complete a master's. And then, Vivek, did you invent plogging or did you just make it a, a huge success? Plogging is picking litter and jogging at the same time, Vivek. Yes. So plogging started in Sweden in 2016, but I wanted to take it across the world. And I took it up as my own initiative and started spreading the word. So being an ambassador and telling people to do it, helping them join plogging communities and building such communities across the world from India to UK. And so explain, because I was trying to discuss this with um, Stig and Asma on breakfast this morning, how, because jogging obviously involves a certain amount of momentum, uh, whereas pick, picking up litter involves a lot of stopping and bending over. So how do you combine the two? So I 
project this as a full body workout so you go for a jogging you simultaneously pick up the later on your way towards wherever you are going so that's like small stops you take at times and it's not recommended that you stop all the time when you see a lot of rubbish on the streets go on picking up a kind of later you want to pick up so i pick up everything that's recyclable and i ignore everything that's rotten and that's wet and organic so i focus mainly on plastic litter or cans and bottles so that's how we can focus on picking up rubbish while running and doesn't take a lot of uh, efforts as well because you are in that momentum you have the tendency to do everything your body asks you to do so if you tell your body to bend squat and pick up it does that for you and people <laughs> people think that it burns more calories than the normal jogging so if you're doing it for your exercise why not do it for the environment as well it's a multitasking activity lucy does this appeal to you the idea of jogging and picking up plogging picking up litter at the same time maybe 30 years ago <laughs> but not 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 now but we we have been as a group rubbish friends we've been going for about 12 plus years but since january 2014 when we started recording exactly how much rubbish we've collected we have since that time believe it or not amassed 9589 full bin liners big bin liners of rubbish wow that yeah. is going up. Are you doing more bags now than you were five, ten years ago? We are because uh, I'm afraid there's a great deal more rubbish around. And I think one of the reasons for that is that, you know, we are a nation that eats and drinks on the move now. You know, in the old days when we had uh, Keep Britain Tidy, it was relatively tidy. We wanted to keep it that way. But now we need to perhaps change that to get Britain tidy again because... It is extraordinary, the horror of the amount of rubbish. And Vivek, how does the uh, state of rubbish in Britain compare to India, where you're from? Uh, initially, I thought it would be really cleaner here because I just moved into UK last year. And after coming here, I was really, really, really disappointed because UK is not anything different than India right now. All the major cities in India have same amount of litter that I see in the UK cities. And last month, I was in 30 different UK cities in 30 days. That was my challenge. And I was on tour. I saw there was a lot of rubbish. And I, I'll say it's almost similar to what I see in India now. Wow. And that's that's just so depressing. That, um, like you were saying, Lucy, that, yeah. you know, we used to be quite good at this stuff. And it's changed. We've had, let me share some of the other stories of people who have sent things in. Sarah mm. in West Yorkshire has been touched. Heard me talk about finding a, a couple of Red Bull cans. She said, when I see the shine of a can, I now expect it to be Red Bull. I reckon they're 80% of the discarded <laughs> cans I find. Why yeah. does someone carry the weight of a full can of anything somewhere, but then feel unable to crush and take one home? Last fat week, I found one within 10 yards in the beach grass in the stunning uh, Dornick Firth in Sutherland, home to yeah. wildfire and seabirds. She goes on. My most hilarious find was when I was walking with a friend in a country lane in Northumberland. The first thing we saw was a red bull can. Then a few feet away, a pink gin and tonic can. A few yards on was a carrier bag containing the remains of a recent fish and chip supper. Finally, hanging in the Hawthorn hedge nearby were a bra and knickers. The full narrative <laughs> of a top night out. Um, what's the... <laughs> <laughs> you you gave us quite a good rundown of the weird things, sawn off shotguns and things that you'd found uh, last week, Lucy. But Vivek, um, what what's the weirdest thing that you've come across? So I've been coming across a lot of sanitary pads which have been soiled in the open, which is very horrible to see because uh, that's the medical waste and people should not be dumping it in the open. It should be disposed of in a really proper way. But I have been coming ac across a lot of such used sanitary pads. Now that's that's such a huge problem I, I see. 
That's interesting. Or if, like you said, uh, slightly depressing. Uh, another thing that seems to be uh, a growing issue is that um, litter was raised in the House of Commons last week. Um, and it seems, again, it seems to be raised more and more. Uh, this is the SNP's Kirsten Oswald putting a question to the Environment Minister, Rebecca Powell. Let's take a listen. Research by Material Focus found at least 1.3 million disposable vapes are thrown away every week. That's two vapes every second, and it includes precious metals like lithium being improperly disposed of, as well as a, a litter nightmare. And Material Focus called for clear recycling advice for manufacturers and retailers to install collection points in shops. What's the Secretary of State doing to support that, and what work is being done to prevent the huge waste problem that we're currently experiencing? Uh, I thank you for this, and we obviously had a recent debate on this, and it, it is astounding the, um, uh, the, 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 the uh, disposable vapes now being actually literally littered. And, um, of course, uh, that's why um, the measures, including our extended producer responsibility scheme, where the onus is put on the manufacturer and the seller of the product to uh, deal with its disposal safely, repair, restore, recycle, will eventually uh, take in all of these different sectors that we're having to deal with. And we're starting with packaging. So I thought that was interesting. Lucy, if you you come across more disposable vapes adding to the problem, yeah, we have. And um, also um, those little silver vials of amyl nitrate or whatever it is. I mean, there's so much of it around. It's it's pretty, pretty fascinating, really. And what, what do you do with the rubbish once you fill the, your 9,000 yeah. bin bags? Well, we, we what we tend to do is we, we put um, a, a notice on the bag so that people can see that it's not just a bag of old rubbish. <laughs> it is actually there that it's being collected and it's awaiting further collection from the council. We phone, we have a contact at the council who loves us, of course, because we give, we give her a call. She's terrific. She sends her team out and collects all the rubbish. That's great. That's great. And it, uh, Vivek, if, if people are looking to sort of start doing this, whether it's plogging or, or straightforward picking up a litter, I know you went around the country, what, 250 people, you travelled 1,500 miles to get to 30 cities. How can people start doing this? Because actually, I suspect that, you know, your neighbours are all looking out and going, there's a lot of rubbish out there. And actually, how, how, how would you suggest people go about starting a group like Lucy's? This is one of the most easiest things people can do for sure. So it's recommended that they just take a bin liner in their hands, wear some gloves and start picking up later wherever they see it. Yes. And the best possible way to dispose it off is to talk to the council bin people who come and collect it from you. Or you can just put it in the council city bins uh, wherever you are in the public places. It's the most easiest thing to take action and people love doing it. So I've seen uh, children love doing it. So you take out your family members and start picking up as a community so people will see you and join you. So just go out there and pick up one piece of rubbish and you'll feel that you're addicted to picking more. And that's, I, must that's admit, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. I was only outside for about yeah. five minutes and yeah, suddenly your bin bag's full. You felt like you'd you achieved something. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, or badly. That's the trouble. You know, an empty bag would be better because it mean it was nice and tidy. Uh, listen, it's been lovely to speak to you. That's Vivek Gurav, uh, who spent 30 days plogging, that's jogging and litter picking in 30 cities. And uh, Lucy Clayton Payne from uh, Cambridgeshire, who came on the show last week and inspired this whole item. We are talking a load of old rubbish today. Not for the first time. Uh, but actually talking about picking up litter. Uh, whose job is it? Uh, what could we all be doing to try and make Britain 
tidy. Loads of you getting in touch. Nicola's sending me pictures of rubbish on her dog walk. She's listening to the show while she's out on the dog walk. Uh, she says, look at these cars and this litter. Any connection, do you think? Why doesn't the business here organise its workers to litter pick in breaks? We discourage them from dumping uh, there too. Uh, Anne gets in touch saying, we've been litter picking for several years when we walk the dogs. We take a carrier bag and pick up anything we spot along the way. It doesn't take much effort and adds an extra interest as we walk. If more walkers did this, it would make the countryside a cleaner place. We live in a rural area. During COVID, we were regularly used to finding uh, discarded masks and rubber gloves on the walks. Uh, now it's mainly cans, bottles, coffee cups and crisp packets that have been thrown out of passing cars. Uh, we'll find out more about what exactly is in our rubbish in a moment. We'll speak to somebody who's been re- uh, researching it. But let's take a trip down memory lane. Uh, Lucy was just talking about the Keep Britain Tidy adverts. Uh, here's one we found from the 1970s. Marty, that's really silly. Yeah, if everyone did that, the place would be a disaster. Marty, you know, it costs £25 million a year of the taxpayers' money to clean the litter in Britain. That's a national disgrace. I mean, surely that money could be used on a more deserving course. Sorry, I... Litter's dirty and ugly. What's more, it's illegal. It's also dangerous and it's a health hazard. Well, I never really thought about it like that. Wow. I mean, one way to try and get people uh, to pick up their litter is that we'd play that every half hour if they didn't. Uh, this is slightly more up-to-date ones we saw recently on Morphor. A single cigarette butt can take up to 14 years to break apart. It's toxins seeping into the earth, harming nature, contaminating waterways and polluting where we live. Change starts with you. Bin it. Or take it with you. Well, that was a bit gloomy as well, that one, wasn't it? Uh, well, let's find out what's actually in your bin bags. Uh, Dr Tom Stanton is uh, from Loughborough University, uh, which has been looking into uh, researching what makes up litter in the UK. Uh, and joins me now. Hi, Tom. Hi. Break it down for us, Dan. What, what goes into the litter that people are dumping? Oh, it's all sorts, um, really. And it, it very much depends on where you're looking so um there's been a lot of work looking at litter that's that's washed up on beaches um and you know that's where the the legislation that we're seeing in the news about banning um cotton bud sticks that are made of plastic and plastic cutlery and those sorts of things comes from if you look um a little bit more inland you might see a slightly different makeup of, of litter so you'll tend to find more things like uh, metal cans glass bottles I, I noticed on your litter bit you did on your street there are quite a few of, of those cropping up um but also where you are in in the country so the the types of litter that wash up on the the beaches in the north of scotland for example will be very different from those that, that wash up on the southeast that's just to do with the the activity that's going on in in those sorts of waters um and and the prevailing current so it, it really is a, a diverse um issue and and what turns up depends on on where you're looking and I suppose you get, um, on the one hand, you know, some fast food chains might move towards paper or cardboards, you know, which is more biodegradable. But then along come other new things. We were hearing uh, discarded vapes being raised in Parliament. Is that something that you've picked up on? That these these sort of plastic vapes are just being thrown thrown into verges and hedges? 
so that's not something that um, I've seen in the work that I've done. Um, that's in part, I think, just to the, the time that, that I've been um, looking at this issue um, and the time that the vapes have kind of um, become particularly prevalent. But we do certainly see a lot of alternatives to plastic. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're not a problem. Even the things that are biodegradable, you know, the, the paper packaging that comes from um, fast food outlets, for example, will have dyes on it, for example. Though the chemicals that are associated with those dyes are going to enter the environment as it biodegrades, and we don't necessarily know how harmful they're going to be. Um, so yeah, there, there's anything in the environment can potentially cause uh, uh, harm and an issue. Uh, and so let's, let's try and focus on the positive of what we might be able to do about it. Um, Nigel's been in touch saying, I remember whilst working in Germany and Austria that some areas insisted that any McDonald's with a drive-through had to print the registration number of cars onto each piece of wrapping. Great idea, and it stops people launching it out of car windows. Is that a good idea? What else might work? I think that that's certainly an incentive. Um, as as was previously said on the programme, you know, people do look around when they're driving and, and are, are not going to be uh, throwing litter out the window if they they think someone might be watching them um as as good an incentive that is it does rely on there actually being people to police it and unfortunately this is not something that is being sort of effectively um managed at the 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 local authority or government level um again you touched on just the the immense costs and and other priorities that these stakeholders have um so i think that whilst that is an interesting um perspective it's perhaps not something that's going to make um a massive amount of difference um christine's just sent in an idea called little lotto apparently in buckinghamshire if you take a photo of yourself putting rubbish in a bin you get entered into a drawer and you could win four hundred uh, two hundred and fifty pounds i think That's- that sounds great that sounds like quite a good idea. Uh, well, let's. Um, if, there's, if there's one party, political party that can sort out this problem, it must be the rubbish party. Sally Cogley's lead with the rubbish party, elected onto East Ayrshire Council uh, in Irvine Valley, Scotland, and joins me now. Hi, Sally. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. I think we spoke a long, long time ago, uh, um, uh, not long after you'd started the rubbish party. Um, how is it going? Um, what impact do you think your the, the rubbish party's made? Well, it's going very well, thank you. And um, uh, yes, I do remember speaking to you, I think Matt, probably about five years ago. And the, from, from my side, first of all, a big thank you to everybody who's involved in litter picks and who, who does go out picking up litter. Thank you so much, because there must be thousands and thousands of people around the country who do this. And without such volunteers, what a mess we would be living in. And that was really how I started as a community councillor. I started litter picking then got fed up with having cleared a stretch of road or a park. And then 10 minutes later, hey, hey presto, there, there was a bag of rubbish. And I think Lucy's point is, was absolutely spot on where she said, you'll never actually see somebody throwing it because, because they, everybody knows they shouldn't. You, you know you shouldn't do it. Um, and I, I decided to stand as a councillor because I just got fed up with hearing myself complaining. <laughs> and I decided to stand as an independent because I didn't want to toe any party line. I wanted to set my own agenda and do it my way. Um, and then having decided to stand as an independent, my husband suggested that we, uh, we, we should set up a political party and give it a name. And the rubbish party was his idea. And it was bizarrely a, a, a pretty good marketing ploy, though we didn't realise that at the time. 
and I know my... I know it hadn't when we when we last uh, spoke, but yes. why why are you not sort of ahead in the polls nationally? Um, are there <laughs> other rubbish are there other rubbish party councillors elsewhere? No, there aren't. No, there aren't. And I didn't do it to set up a political party. I just did it as a tagline because I thought for me as a councillor, it would work. And and, and it has done. Uh, I I think if I decided to recruit other councillors or other people to stand as councillors, I would spend all of my time doing that rather than getting on the job, on with the job that I've actually been elected to do. So for, for me, it was a very specific choice. I've set this up and I'm doing it my way. Uh, I know my second term. So I think, Matt, when we spoke, I had only just been elected first time round. I got exactly. re-elected last, last year, so I must be doing something right. There um, is obviously something working there. Just finally then, yeah. um, both Talia and, and Tom, if there was, if Rebecca Powell, the, 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 the littering, or I was going to say rubbish minister, but that sounds like I'm passing a judgment on her. Uh, if she's li- listening this morning, what's an idea that the, the national government could do that might actually bring about a change, a sort of real, real life uh, um, policy that might make a difference? You first, Tom. I think um, there's a need to really look at the legislation that's in place and being introduced over the next few years. Extended producer responsibility was mentioned. There's also the plastic packaging tax and the deposit return scheme. Um, They aren't really fit for purpose. They're not informed by the the types of litter that we find in the environment. They're they're essentially political greenwashing in in some ways, and they have several loopholes. They're not tight enough. Um, And uh, as someone who's researching the issue, they just demonstrate that the government don't fully understand uh, the extent of the issue, the nature of the issue, and it's just not a priority for them. Yeah, I absolutely agree with what uh, Tom has said there. And um, the, the the policy framework is just not, as Tom said, it simply isn't fit for purpose. And there needs to be, and and, and whoever pretends that they're, they're interested ministerially in, in, in addressing it, or if they actually were interested, they would be speaking today on this programme. I'm sure you've invited a minister to appear, we did. and nobody we is did. here. And they weren't available, Sorry. exactly. Yeah, we did, uh, yes, we did invite course. them, and yeah, we were told yeah. no. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, we've got a... the rubbish party but... instead, which is much better. Oh, bless you. Um, but, but what I would be asking of, of government, and this is both north and south of the border, and this can all be funded through big companies who are... who. who who indulge massively in greenwashing is huge engagement. And this needs to be a national engagement um, for, uh, coupled with education and effective enforcement. And we need each of those things in place and to be properly funded. And that the likes of Coca-Cola or McDonald's, any of those big companies, I'm sure would be very happy if they were approached and if this was uh, appropriately organised, I'm sure they would be quite happy to fund advertising and education and proper yeah. enforcement. And, you know, yeah. we, we have in Scotland, the fixed penalty notice for littering is £80. Now, that's only effective if you have sufficient enforcement offices to actually <laughs> go out and enforce it. And you mentioned the car registration thing. Well, yes, the, the, some of the numbers are actually recorded, but that data is not allowed to be used. So the legislation that supports uh, our, our litter framework needs to be needs to be changed. And for example, if um, litter was discarded from a car window, the driver may, may deny responsibility if there were passengers in the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. So you know, all, all of this stuff is just absolutely useless, and it needs changing. And within East Ayrshire, I set up, and this was because I'm independent. I could do this across party, cross ward 
group which which I set up and we've, we've introduced a fantastic litter in schools scheme which is aimed at primary school pupils and secondary school pupils and di- di- different programs for each of the uh, of, of the different age groups yeah um and at primary school uh, level it's 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 interactive presentations with with accompanying learning materials which the, yeah. the, the children yeah, yeah, fully yeah. engage with and at a secondary school level it the, the focus is very much on the consequences of littering and this 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 program is delivered through all the secondary schools in East Asia, and it's presented jointly by education, environmental health, and the police. And um, so that we sounds educate. like a it sounds like a great yeah. initiative, Sally. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm afraid we've been we've had too many too many emails and messages about rubbish. Uh, Sally, really good to see you. Sally Cogger there from the Rubbish Party, uh, joined by uh, Dr. Tom Stanton, a geographer from uh, Loughborough University. Also, massive thanks uh, to Vivek Gurav and Lucy Clayton Payne who joined us as well. And thank you for all of you for sharing your your messages and pictures of uh, quite a lot of rubbish. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.